Let's get started as we begin our class with a word of prayer. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we're grateful for um, all your gifts to us, but above all, we're grateful for the gift of your presence and the way in which you um, promise to give us that gift, especially on the Lord's Day, on the day that your Son sanctified and set apart by his resurrection from the dead, when he calls his bride to appear before him and promises to dwell with them by the power of his Spirit. And Father, this Lord's Day, we pray that you would indeed dwell with us and that even now as we uh, pray or, or talk together about what it means to be the church, um, and particularly the church here in this place, that you would guide us and give us wisdom as we examine these things. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So this <clears throat> uh, fall semester, we've been going through um, a core values class um, for our church, Colleyville Presbyterian Church, where I'm seeking um, to articulate and, and work out some of the, the core commitments that we have as a congregation, um, the ways that I'm seeking to lead us as your pastor, um, the, the life that we're trying to have together with one another. And so we're sort of walking through these basic commitments that we have as a church. Um, there are some ways in which these commitments are distinctive for our congregation. There are other ways, I think, in which they are uh, merely an um, expression of what I would call mere Christianity, to use uh, Lewis's term, um, hopefully our church is not um, absolutely unusual or unique. Hopefully we are operating within the broad stream of the Christian tradition and the teaching of the apostles, and I think that actually is the case um, for us. So just to review real quickly, um, we talked about our first core value being uh, union with Christ. And what we mean by that is that we believe that um, Jesus Christ um, established the church um, at primarily so that it would be a place uh, and a people with whom he would commune and dwell, where men, women, and children would be draw, brought into saving and living union with himself by the working of the Spirit. Um, that this is, this is the reason that our church exists primarily, to be a place where um, individual members and our church as a whole um, communes with the Lord Jesus. We believe that is the, the goal of the Christian life. That is its sum total in many ways, that we would glorify God and enjoy him together, and that we would do that forever um, in this life and in the life to come. And that's just so important that we put that at the center of who we are as a church. We're not about other things primarily. We're about this. We're about communing with the triune God um, through the mediator that he has given us, um, the bridge between man and God, um, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gathers us up into himself and brings us into the life of the Trinity, um, our true family, our true family. That's why, you know, sometimes it's argued, right, um, worship on the Lord's Day, um, you know, there are other things like family time that compete with worship on the Lord's Day. And I would say, no, this is your family, right? If you're a Christian, um, you've been brought into the divine family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so you're, yes, do family time on the Lord's Day, but remember how you define that, your actual, eternal, uh, true family, the family that God has given you. Um, we talked, our second core value is the means of grace. Um, because we believe that union with Christ and union with the triune God is so central to who we are, we want to commune with him in the ways that he has appointed for us to do so. And we believe that the scriptures teach that those means are primarily word, sacrament, and prayer. And so we want all of our life as a church to be orient, oriented around those channels by which God gives himself to us in a reliable and trustworthy way. Um, we do that through, of course, the preaching of the Word, but also through the study of it. Um, we do it through the weekly administration of the Lord's Supper and through baptism. And we do it as we pray with one another throughout the week and, of course, on the Lord's Day itself. 
and, and so this is really an evaluative tool that I use and our, our session uses um, to consider um, what are the things that we're committed to doing as a church. We want them to be things that are not um, superfluous to the spiritual life, but central to it. And such, we want them to be oriented around the means of grace. This is why we have weekly prayer in the sanctuary every morning, um, every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. This is why we have a men's Bible study and a women's Bible study each week. Um, this is why we have other events um, where we pray and, and our fellowship with one another in a way that is intentional uh, because we want to orient our lives around word, sacrament, and prayer as the means by which God is given to commune with us. Uh, we talked also several weeks ago about the centrality of the Lord's Day for our core value as a church, that we really believe that something distinctive um, happens on this day, that it's been set apart by God for us uh, to commune with Him in a special way when we gather as a church, um, that we receive the means of grace in Christ Himself, most primarily on Sunday morning when we gather in His presence through the preached Word, through the reading of the Word, uh, through the reception of the sacrament, uh, through the common prayers that we offer by singing and, and saying those prayers together, um, that, that Christ himself dwells with us in an absolutely unique way. And in many ways, I talked about, I've, I've come to the conviction over time that one of my central practices or callings as a pastor is to help us, our congregation, continually reevaluate our Lord's Day practices. And what, what, how are we orienting our life around the actual public means of grace that God has given us? And we live in a culture that I think doesn't support that well, but we want to be distinctive in that way, that we really do prioritize the Lord's Day and the rest and worship that God promises to give us as a gift on that day. And we talked about our core value of worship, the way that we do worship together, the, the liturgy that we use, the, the dialogical character of it, the way in which God converses with us and we respond to his word again and again, continually throughout the service. Um, we talked about how the service is not so much us coming to God to renew our covenant with him, but God actually promises to dwell with us and to renew his covenant with us week by week. Our worship is a gracious act that our Father enters into with us through the person of the Lord Jesus and gathers us up for himself. And it's for all. That's a distinctive about our church, that we welcome children in our worship and we don't have separate worship services for different demographics in our church, whether it be small children or youth, we all worship together because we believe that the means of grace are for everyone and that Lord Jesus said, not, let not the little children be kept away, don't hinder them, but bring them to me. And that is a pretty unique thing in many ways about our church in this day and age, um, but it's central, I think, to who we are. Um, also, last week we talked about how one of our core values is primarily to be a Christian church, <clears throat> to see ourselves as a church that is in, in that broad apostolic tradition that has been continued throughout the centuries um, um, through um, um, the church at large. Um, but we're also, we, we are not afraid to say we're distinctively a Reformed church, that we come out of the Protestant Reformation, that we look to men like Luther and Calvin and Knox and others as our spiritual um, uh, fathers in the faith, um, and that we are, are happy to do that. But at the same time, we believe that that Reformed tradition is not simply um, about the five points of Calvinism or how does one get saved or God, God's predestinating grace, but rather the Reformed tradition is one that is broad and has to do with all of life and has many different emphases <coughs> that we think are important. <clears throat> um, and so we're Reformed, but we're not Reformed in some narrow way. We're Reformed according to the Scriptures. Um, we seek to be Reformed according to the Scriptures within communion of that tradition. Any questions about any of that before we jump into new material this morning?
Very good. All right, <clears throat> so I've got a sixth core value today. I'm, and I'm still working these things out, but this is, I mean, one of the great things about teaching is that you figure stuff out, right? If anybody's ever taught, that's how it works. So this, you're watching your pastor try to figure this stuff out. So I made some amendments to the core value that I said I was going to talk about last week. I've changed it to, be, to word it this way, to word it as intentional soul care. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm, you have to bear with me. My voice is not what I would love it to be this morning. So intentional soul care. I think this is a really significant commitment of our church and a core value for who we are. And in some ways, there is some distinctiveness about this, I think, when you look at the landscape of the modern American church today. Um, and, and I want to sort of try to unpack that some. So let me just read some of these scriptures here, uh, and then we'll talk about them um, and some of the ways that this works out in our church. So the New Testament has a lot to say about the care of souls, spiritual care um, for the body of Christ. Um, Romans 12.5 says this, <clears throat> We, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I think that's a really distinctive phrase that Paul talks about there, that we have this union as those who have trusted in Christ and been baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have union with Christ. We are one body, but we also have union with one another. We're individually members of one another in a similar way as, in some sense, that we are members of the body of Christ with Christ himself. We also have a horizontal union with each other. Um, today we'll be remembering that reality in our service even, our union with the saints throughout the ages as we remember All Saints Sunday and we sing for all the saints at the end of our service and we have an opening colic that remembers that we are mystically and spiritually united um, with all of the elect through all time, um, that we have this union with one another. But that union has worked itself out, especially here in this church, with the actual men and women and children who are sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you, that they're actually in the local church, we have a unity with one another that is actually central um, to our spiritual health and our life um, together. And Paul unpacks how that works itself out in various ways. In Galatians 6, 1 and 2, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, now, this <clears throat> verse certainly has application for those who are in leadership um, in the church and have special spiritual authority for those under their care. I also think it's a verse that speaks to all of our mutual responsibility for one another. We are individually members of one another, and so there is um, a need for us to um, watch out for each other. And if we see a brother or sister in Christ caught in a transgression, we should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Those who are spiritual, those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, this is a part of what it means to be that living body of Christ, um, visible body of Christ on earth. This is what it means um, to bear one another's burdens. Um, it certainly means lots of things, right? It means to care for one another when we're sick or we're in need, but it also means primarily to watch over one another's souls in a way that is, that is humble, a way that is gentle, um, but a way that where there is real ownership, that you are responsible in some sense not only for your soul when you're part of the body of Christ, but for the soul of your neighbor, that we share that mutuality with one another. I think it's really important for us to think about. Um, James, Apostle James unpacks this as well in James 15, 19, and 20. 
And, and certainly this verse has special application, again, for leaders in the church, but also for just normal members as well. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. <clears throat> the New Testament seems to have this assumption that even though men and women trust in Jesus and are baptized in the name of the triune God, that they may at times wander from the truth, that they may be caught in transgression, they may fall into sin. And so one of the means by which we are restored to Christ and brought back into communion, full communion with him is by the care of one another, right? The one anothering that happens within the context of the congregation and the, the body of Christ. That's actually one of the means uh, that God uses to accomplish our perseverance um, as we um, last and, and persevere until the end. And this has special application for those who are in leadership in the church, what we call the officers of the church, <clears throat> particularly the pastors and elders of the church. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This is an exhortation that the writer of Hebrews is giving to the church at large. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will one day have to give an account that account, of course, will be given to the Lord Jesus, the shepherd. Um, the under-shepherds will give an account to him, to Jesus Christ, for their care for the souls that are under their watch. Let them, that is your leaders, do this watching, this overseeing of your souls with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This, I don't know how, you know, if this strikes you as unusual or strange, but I think it's clear that the New Testament teaches that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is authority, there is a hierarchy of a sense of a kind, um, and that some are entrusted with the care of others in a particular way. And I want to be clear that that's something that we hold here at Colleyville. Um, we're not just sort of, you know, before God, all equally responsible for one another. Um, some of us are more responsible than others, in particular, your pastors and your elders are responsible spiritually for your spiritual life, for your oversight of your souls. And that's something that is actually, I think, in some ways distinctive about our church, certainly when you look at the landscape of Western Christianity today, um, that we believe that there is that real responsibility that exists um, within the context of our church. This expresses itself um, in our membership vow. Um, uh, Tama is going to be joining the church today, which is great. So she'll be taking this vow. Any of you who have joined the church have taken it as well. Do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and its peace? So when you say yes, or I do, to that vow, you're saying I'm promising to put myself under, in an intentional way, the authority, spiritually speaking, of someone else. I'm going to submit myself um, to the government and this discipline of the church, which means I'm going to submit myself to the leadership, to the authority of the church in terms of their care for my soul, their care for my spiritual life. Um, and we think that's something that is good and actually a gift for Christians, that this is actually a good thing um, that we have this opportunity to not be solely responsible for our own spiritual welfare but also to be submissive to others. And it's important to say that <clears throat> your pastors and elders are not themselves um, without authority over them. Um, each of the, session, the elders of our church are members of this church and are themselves subject to the oversight of the session as a whole. 
right? So if one of your elders is caught in sin or transgression or needs spiritual direction and guidance, he will receive that um, from the session itself. Um, and your pastors, though we're not members of our church, and Patrick and I are not members of this congregation, but we are members of the presbytery. And our presbytery, I think, is a healthy one and one in which there is oversight and care for the souls of the pastors who are members of that court, of that body. Um, and as I've discussed recently, we saw this um, in recent months in our presbytery where uh, a pastor was disciplined and is being called to repentance because of his sin. Um, and that, that's something that exists as well. And then I just quote here from the Westminster Confession <clears throat> um, that, that this is something that the Lord Jesus has done, that the Lord Jesus is king of the head of the church, has therein appointed a government in the hand of church officers distinct from the civil magistrate. To these officers, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are committed by virtue whereof they have power respectively to retain and remit sins, to shut that kingdom against the impenitent, that is the unrepentant, both by the word and censures, and to open it unto penitent, that is repentant sinners, by the ministry of the gospel, and by absolution from censures as occasion shall require. So we really believe here at our church that this structure of authority is something that has been instituted by the Lord Jesus. It's not a human invention. It's not something we came up with so the church will run smoothly. It's actually something that the Lord Jesus himself set up, that he entrusted particular men with authority over his church, and that authority is something that he intended to continue um, down through the ages. Um, so how does this work out? What's the principle here that, that undergirds this sort of distinctive of our a life of our church, just on the back of your handout. At Caliville, we believe that one of the reasons the Lord Jesus created the church is so that each of us would be in community with others and under the spiritual authority of our leaders, such that none of us are solely responsible to keep watch over our own souls. <clears throat> and I think that's a beautiful thing, and I hope that it's attractive to you, that you are not, in and of yourself, responsible for your spiritual welfare. It's not on you totally, right? Yes, you have responsibility for your soul. Um, certainly we believe that. Paul, or Peter says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and that was you know, directed not only to the whole church, but to individuals within the church. You are called to cling to Christ and to repent of your sins and to take responsibility for the way in which you are availing yourselves of the means of grace that are offered to you. And yet, there's also a very real sense in which when you join the church, when you become a part of its body in a formal way, you are saying, I'm going to let other people, I actually want other people to take responsibility for me spiritually, to help me persevere in the true faith until the end that I might be delivered and saved. And I hope that that's an encouraging thing, something that's attractive and not scary. Um, not, you know, the goal here is not to diminish your individuality or the gifts that God has given you or whatever, but to say, within the context of that authority, that we have mutually with one another and under the submission to the leaders that have been put above us or over us, there's actually freedom for us to fully be responsible for ourselves in the right kind of way. Does that make sense? Are there any questions, any pushback, any comments about that concept of our intentional care for one another? <clears throat> All right, let me walk through how this works itself out practically in our church. So first, I want to say that, that 
one of the ways that we want this to work out practically in our church is um, to be a community where church members bear one another's burdens. Um, we want to be that kind of church. We want to be a church where people are honest with one another in safe and appropriate ways, um, such that you have people in the church who are helping you bear the burdens that you carry spiritually or in your lives. Um, this is actually, I think, a really fundamental and important part, a core value for us. And I think this is one place where our relatively small size as a church is really beneficial. Um, it is hard at churches that are large, I think, um, <clears throat> to be known by others. Um, you have, you know, this is part of the reason why we just have one service here and it would take a great deal of convincing um, for me to move to two services at some point. Like that would be a, a huge shift for me in, just in terms of my philosophy as a pastor. And the reason for that is because what happens when you have two services? You essentially establish two congregations, right? And let's say you, some days you're at the early service and other days you're at the late service and suddenly you just have different people that you're interacting with and if you're not there at the late service one day, well, maybe you were at the earlier service. Who knows, you know? Um, but when we're all worshiping at the same time together, you know, thanks to the reliability that many of you establish by your seating habits on Sunday morning, if you're not there, it's pretty obvious, right? There's like a, there's an empty row um, wherever your family often sits. And people are going to notice that, right? Because we're a small enough church where people are going to notice if you're not here. They're definitely going to notice if you're not here for like three weeks in a row. Um, whereas at a, at a larger church, that may not be the case, or it may not happen as easily or as organically. Um, and this relatively small size means that you have less options for um, demographic groups to establish your community and friendships with one another, right? Which I think is actually a good thing. Um, I'm glad that we don't have like, you know, 80 young couples with no kids who can all just be friends with each other. Like, I'm glad that we are sort of forced to work outside of our comfort zones in terms of who we might normally relate to uh, regarding our, our age, our situation in life, um, you know, the, the, whatever that is, whatever our demographic might be. Um, that there's actually, because of our small size of our church, you're sort of forced into community with people who may not be exactly like you, may be actually pretty different from you in terms of their socioeconomic status, in terms of their marital status, <coughs> in terms of the number of children they have, their age, all those sorts of things. I think that's actually a really helpful and healthy thing. We have an emphasis in our church on hospitality and organic fellowship. Um, and this is, I'll talk more about hospitality next week, um, but, but this is a huge part of who we are as a church. We're not a highly programmatic church. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have a ton of things. We're running every week out of, by the church staff. Um, and part of that is to give room for us to have real fellowship with one another in an organic way um, so that we can all lean in and take responsibility um, for this one anothering, this individually being members of one another that is meant to be at the core of who we are as a church. This is part of why we have monthly fellowship meals, right? That there's really no agenda for those meals other than eating together and talking and being in one another's presence. Um, a lot of the things we do as a church are oriented around providing opportunities for this kind of fellowship and connection and one anothering to happen. And there's also, I think, a commitment to openness with one another. And this is certainly something that I seek to model as a pastor. Um, and I want to be true for us. I want to be honest with you as much as I can about how I'm doing 
right? If I'm having a hard time, if I'm, if I'm, um, you know, if things are difficult, I want to be honest about that. Now there, and I want our congregation to be a place where we can be honest with one another, where if we have particular burdens, that we can talk about those things with each other, where we don't have to come in and pretend like, you know, we're all super Christians who never um, have doubts or, or sin or struggle in our lives, but this is actually can be a place where we can be honest about those things. Um, so that we can actually bear one another's burdens. That's a significant um, value for me, and I hope that it it works itself out in that way in your experience here. Secondly, I want to say that one of the ways this works itself out is that here at Colleyville you have pastors who are available to you for spiritual care. Um, And I think there are some ways in which that is distinctive in the landscape of of just American Christianity today. very intentionally, um, we have structured our church life here such that our pastors are freed, Patrick and myself, to primarily focus our time on prayer, study, and spiritual direction rather than institutional or program management. Um, I do not want to be a CEO um, of this church. Um, That is not my aspiration. Um, And there are certainly aspects of institutional management that I have to do, um, because we are an institution and somebody has to have a responsibility for some things. But um, you may have noticed but we have a school next door that we, you know, we have a relationship with them. and they're in our, So there, there are things that like, have to be done institutionally for our church. Um, but largely, Patrick and I both work to, to dedicate as much of the time that we have each week as we can to actually being pastors, um, to preparing um, the, the teaching that we do and the preaching that we do, um, to prayer with one another um, for you um, and on our own, um, and also to being, being available for spiritual direction, um, for meeting with people. That's largely what I do as a pastor in the time that I'm not being given to preparation for something or prayer, is just spending time with people, talking to people on the phone, visiting people in their homes, meeting people for meals, having people come up to the church and meet with me in my office. Um, this is, like, that's what I do um, with the bulk of my time. And I want you to know that, and that's, a, that's an intentional commitment that we have here, um, to not be a church where our pastors have to be um, primarily program managers or institutional managers, but that they can actually be available for their fundamental task, which is to oversee the souls of those under their care. <clears throat> so this means that your pastors are available to you, and you should feel free to avail yourself of them, right? It's not an imposition for you to email me or email Patrick and say, can we meet this week? I really need to talk about something. Like that's not, that's actually what we want to do. That's what we enjoy doing. Um, That's why we're both pastors here and not at a different church. Um, So I want you to know that, that as as pastors, we value the opportunity to be available for you. We want to visit with you. We want to meet you for meals. We want to provide um, counseling for you, um, pastoral counseling, not therapy, um, pastoral counseling for you um, in our, our offices here at the church. And, and those are all contexts where we can basically just listen and pray and, and give you whatever counsel we can from the scriptures and encouragement in Christ. Um, you know, we're not here to sort of fix all your problems, but we're here to walk with you in the middle of them and to point you to Christ and to pray for you. Um, and I think that's a really important aspect of what it means for you to be under um, authority spiritually, is to open yourself up to that, uh, to be vulnerable and to ask for help, to say, can I meet with you this week? I really need someone to pray with me or to listen as I talk about this thing that's going on. 
And I just want you to know that as a pastor, I am not, I mean, some pastors are, pastors are wired differently. Some pastors are super entrepreneurial, right? And like want to go and like start a massive kingdom movement for God and whatever. That's not who I am. That's not how I'm wired. Um, um, you've probably picked up on this the last five years we've been together. Um, as a pastor, I just want to walk with people, the people that God brings us, the particular people that God brings to this church. I want to baptize your children. I want to walk with you and you know marry your, your kids um, when they get old enough to do that. I want to be the one who's administering the sacrament to you, preaching to you week by week, walking with you through things that are hard, you know, preaching at your funeral one day if the Lord should bring that about. Like, this is, that's what I want to do as your pastor, is just walk with you through your life spiritually and care for you along the way. Um, I'm not really interested in, I don't know, whatever you might fill in the blank with. Um, that, that's the thing fundamentally that I want to be as a pastor, and I know that Patrick shares that emphasis as well. And finally, <clears throat> um, I want you to know that you have a session who will, if necessary, intrude in your life for your spiritual care. If you're a member of this church and you fall into significant sin, it may be that the session will actually proactively intrude in your life to care for you, to bring you back, to do the things that um, Paul and James are talking about in terms of being restored if you're in a spiritual transgression, right? If you're caught in transgression or to, if you're wandering from the truth, to bring brothers back. This is something that our session is committed to and that we do regularly. Um, much of our session meetings are directed toward the spiritual health of our membership. Um, that's certainly how I seek to lead. I'm the moderator of our session and that's certainly how I seek to lead our meetings that we spend a good deal of time just talking about spiritual needs in our church and situations where there needs to be oversight and care um, and praying for those people and talking about how we can best care for them. Um, we, as necessary, practice discipline as a session. Um, often this discipline is informal, right? We might ask someone to meet with us and talk to us about whatever it is that they're, they seem to be struggling with in terms of temptation to sin or a particular sin in their lives that they don't seem to be repenting of. And we want to sit there and talk to them and say, what's going on? And, and, and spiritually uh, correct and exhort and from the scriptures say, turn away from this, don't do this, don't walk out the door of your marriage, right? Um, don't do whatever the thing is that, that you're wrestling with. And that's something that we do with, you know, you, d you don't hear about it because it happens privately, of course, uh, but it's something that our session does. And then if we need to, our session is also willing to formally practice church discipline. And I want you to know that, not because it's some scary thing but because it is something that is for your good, that if there's a time when you are, you are impenitent, unrepentant in a particular way for a particular sin, you have a session that is willing to practice church discipline, to say you may not commune at the Lord's table until you demonstrate repentance in your life for this particular sin. And eventually, perhaps to say you're cut off from the church if you were hardened in that impenitence and that unrepentance um, until such time as you show repentance. And that's the goal of church discipline. We should always be clear. Church discipline, suspension from the sacrament or excommunication is never punitive. It's never to punish sins that have occurred. It's always to bring about the repentance of the believer. Um, it's, it's, you know, if you commit a grievous sin and are repentant of it, you will not be disciplined for it. Um, what you're disciplined for ultimately is 
the lack of repentance that is required for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. But I, and I want you to know, I think that is a core value of our church in the sense that it is something we're committed to, and we don't talk about it a ton, but it's something that is it's always sort of there, it's present in the life of our church. That if, if you are a part of our congregation, you are participating in a, in, a, in a congregation where you are putting yourself intentionally under the care of others who have promised, obligated themselves to watch over your souls and will one day give an account to the Lord Jesus for that care. One day on the last day, I will give an account to the Lord Jesus, not only for my life and my own particular sins, but for how I kept watch over your souls. And that's something I want to take very seriously and say, I want to say that I was as faithful as I could be in that, um, even if that requires hard conversations, even if that requires uh, rebuke at times. Um, that, that that's something that is a part of, that your church is committed to. I just want you to know that. All right, many questions. I've done a lot of monologue today, but we've got still about 10 minutes left. Questions and comments about all the stuff I've talked about. Yes, sir, Jeremy. can be. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be as simple as saying you have a church member who you know and care for and you see and maybe another husband who's mistreating his wife and you take him out to lunch and you say, what's going on in your marriage? I'm kind of concerned about the way that you seem to be speaking to your wife. You know, talk to me about that. And that, that's something as church members we should have the freedom to do, but that you do so in a way that's gentle, that's not like assumes that you're without sin in your marriage, you know. Um, but that is where we're spurring one another on to good works, you know, as Paul says. Um, does that make sense? I think it has principles for both. I think it, 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 there are ways this works itself out dynamically in the life of the church between members. Um, and there also, it gives principles for those who are in spiritual leadership to actually have the kind of restoration we should seek to practice should be done spiritually by the power of the Spirit in a, in a spirit of gentleness um, with care. I mean, he says, keep, you know, take care lest you also be tempted. Um, yeah, what else? What other questions or comments or thoughts, feedback? Yeah, Kathina. Yeah, the visible church. So officers of the church, we believe, um, have authority to determine um, the bounds of the visible church. Um, so who um, should be baptized, um, who should be cut off from the church if necessary, from the visible church. But yeah, we're not saying that, that the officers of the church have 
power over the invisible church, over who is the elect of God. It might be that the, the officers of the church make a mistake and put someone out of the visible church who actually is, shouldn't be, and that doesn't change their eternal status in any way. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good distinction to make. Yeah, we're talking about the visible church there. Yes, Wendy. Yes. 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 I think that's right. I think there's an onus here both upon uh, your pastors to know, pursue you and get to know you and make themselves known to you, but also upon members to allow themselves to be known. And that's something that nobody can really compel you to do, right? If you want to show up here, come late and leave early. And, you know, like there are ways in which you can sort of avoid the fellowship and community of the church. And, and so my hope is that people see this as a gift, right? to be known by other Christians um, in a true way, um, to be known by your, your pastors. Um, yeah, and there, yeah, it really only works well when we do that organically uh, with one another, freely with one another, yeah. And I think this is, you know, this is why it can be challenging for a much larger church to practice spirit, spiritual discipline or um, church discipline, yeah, because there's not, maybe not that same intimacy in terms of relationship. What other feedback or thoughts? Is this scary to anybody, what I'm talking about here? Do you all see this as a positive? It's supposed to be a little scary. That's fair. It's supposed to be sobering. That's fair. That's a good point. Yep. I've definitely been sobered in the last... Um, three months or two months or so with the discipline of one of my fellow pastors that I had to be intimately involved in. It's sobering to do that and to see that, to see the church work itself out that way. Yeah, John and then Kim. Right. <laughs> Is it me? Yeah. Is it me, oh Lord? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a sobering thing. We haven't had to do that since I've been here as the pastor, but yeah, I know that the church is at times, um, we've practiced other forms of church discipline in my experience here, but yeah, the church has at times excommunicated people. Yeah, Kim. It is. Yeah, so Kim just said the spirit of gentleness aspect of this is very important because it can do a lot of damage otherwise. And I totally agree. Yeah, and, and our Book of Church Discipline um, in our Book of Church Order talks about um, that when discipline is practiced, it should be akin to, the, to as a nursing mother is the image, which comes out of Thessalonians. Paul talks about that 
the way in which he sought to exercise pastoral oversight of the Thessalonian church was with gentleness, like as a nursing mother with her children. Um, and that, that should be the way that discipline is practiced in the church. It should be gentle, it should be um, uh, maternal even, in a right kind of understanding of it. Um, Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're never going to show up on Sunday and find out you're excommunicated, right? <laughs> right. That's I can promise you. That's right. Yes, yes. There are at times church discipline has to be um, um, decisive. I think we can say, but yeah, absolutely. There's always church discipline. <clears throat> I mean, there's a very real sense in which every week when you hear the preached word of God by your pastor that you are experiencing church discipline, right? Because it's very likely that there's something in your life that is not in conformity to the revealed will of God and the scriptures, and your pastor is exhorting you to repent. Um, hopefully that's what's happening in preaching. Um, and so, yeah, all those things are church. Church discipline is not just the final severe kind of censure of the church. It's everything. Any final questions or thoughts? Comments? Very good. Let's stand and pray together. Father, I'm grateful um, for your church and for the way that you give us other people, other flesh and blood human beings to watch over our souls. I'm grateful for that care in my life um, and for those who exercise it over me. And I'm thankful for our church and the way that we seek to exercise that with one another. Um, Father, help us to see this, um, this way in which you've given us in community to be members of one another um, and also to be under authority of our spiritual leaders as a gift to us, as something that is intended for our good and for our life, even for our salvation. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be a community that lives these things out, that lives with openness with, before one another, um, that seeks to be gentle and humble um, when we speak into one another's lives, and that the outcome would be um, conformity to the image of your Son and even the salvation of our souls. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.